Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover? Let me see your hand. Hi, almost everybody in the room, the rest of you are just lying. Um, Nobody wants to be truly judged by their appearance. I I mean, they don't. I I know a lot of people put a lot of work into their appearance, but nobody truly wants to be judged by their appearance. But yet very few people will allow their lives to be opened like an open book. Even though we don't want to be judged by an appearance, we don't necessarily always want people in our inner circle. We don't want people knowing the ins and outs of who we are. And humans very seldom get past the exterior of a person to see what's really happening on the inside of that person. And this is reinforced in 1 Samuel 16 and 7, where the Bible says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so the Bible tells us that it's just natural that it happens this way, that man looks looks on the outward appearance, but when God is studying a person, God is looking at the heart of that person. God knows what is happening deep down inside of them. And I've thought about this, and it's tough for us sometimes. Those of us that don't like to connect with people, it's tough because it takes time and it takes effort to let people see who we really are. It takes time and effort to let people see what brings you joy in your life. It takes, it takes a lot of work to let people see your pain and what has hurt you throughout your life. To see what has made us into the person that we are today. It takes a lot of work for that. And, and when it comes to our relationships with God, we have no choice except to become vulnerable. I mean, think about it. Your relationship with God, when you stop and you really compare it to your theology and and you really know what you believe about God, when you really get deep like that, you're like, there's nothing I can hide from God. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. And so deep down, you know everything that is going on inside of you. You know that God already knows that. But we know that according to Scripture, God looks at the heart. God has that, that, that vision inside of a person. And so he knows what is happening in their innermost being. True spirituality is allowing people into your inner circle and allowing yourself to become vulnerable with others. And some of you right now, you are so far from this. And listen, I'm not, I'm not necessarily preaching at you. I just want you to realize there's so much more to life that you're missing out on because you've not allowed yourself to become an open book to humanity. And God has called us to become an open book to humanity. And I hope that by the end of this today, you are going to realize that because I believe one of the true marks of spiritual maturity is a person that has become that open book and allows others to see what God has done in their life. Amen? Amen. Numerous times in my life, I've had to hide behind a facade. I, uh, I remember when I first became a youth pastor in 1997. I remember sitting there wondering, what have I gotten myself into? I had no idea what I was doing. I was so green. And, and my motto became, fake it till you make it. That, that's what it was. Fake it till you make it. And, and man, I had to do that. So many times I had to fake it until I made it. I'm still not sure I've made it yet, but I had to fake it until I, I made it, you know. And actually, I'm looking around the room right now. Michael Addis is here. Bless his heart. He was one of the students in my first youth ministry. He was one of the first students that I ever pastored. Michael, I don't know how we made it, man, because I had no idea what I was doing, but I was faking it. 
And I was going through the motions faking it. And it was during that time that, um, that, that God began challenging me to grow in some areas of my life. And, and one of those areas was in music. I, I had been a drummer since I was 12 years old and knew how to play the, the drums. But that was it. I mean, just, you know, to be completely honest with you, I, I was a drummer. Not a real musician. I mean, I was a drummer. I'm just picking at some of my drummers in the room right now. They know who they are. No, I was a drummer. I didn't know music. And, 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 you know, there's drum music too, but I didn't know drum music. All I knew was how to get behind a kit and to start playing. That's what I knew. And, and so I knew that I needed to expand a little bit because we did not have a worship team in our youth ministry at all. I mean, we started with 12 students, and, and so it, there was plenty of room to grow. And so... I had never sang before. I never held a microphone and stood before a congregation and, and sang a song before. That wasn't part of who I was. But yet that time had come. And so I, I, I began learning some chords on the keyboard. And a couple of weeks later, we led our first song. And there was a microphone on the stand. And I led from a keyboard and led. And that was one of the first times I'd really ever sang in front of a, a, a group of people before. But, but many people didn't know it because they didn't know that I was just learning this as we were going. We did the same exact song three weeks in a row because that's all that I knew. That's all I, that's all I had learned. And the next week, we did that song again and added a second song. And so we were growing with it, you know, but I was faking it until I made it. <clears throat> when I moved to Tampa a couple of years later, it was a completely different church. <clears throat> I don't want to hurt anybody in the room. I, I, listen, we, we're in Newberry, Florida. This is a small town. Would you agree with me? Small town. And most of you live in small communities around this area. I mean, I know we're kind of the hub right here where we all gather for church, but I don't want to hurt anybody, but, but let me just put it this way. The quality of music in Tampa at the church we were at, a larger church, was completely different than the quality of music that was at the church that I was at in Live Oak. Completely different. I could get up and fake it until I made it in Live Oak, okay? I, that, that was okay. But, but in Tampa, I was surrounded by people that were a whole lot more talented than I was when it came to music. And they were everywhere, and it, it was very intimidating. And so I had to wear this facade when I was leading a youth choir. Part of my job description going in, just take over the youth choir. You're the youth pastor, take over the, the youth choir. The problem is that youth choir had already recorded two CDs before I got there. <laughs> and I'm a makeshift, you know, piano player at best. And, and, and so they had already done that. I could not teach parts. I could not sit down and pick out an alto line or a soprano line or a tenor line. I couldn't do any of that. And teen talent was coming up and I knew that we were going to have to put our choir in, in teen talent. And man, I'm stressing. I'm like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? And, and uh, honest, man, I was so intimidated. I was not letting anybody into my inner circle. I didn't want anybody to know, you know, that I was not capable of doing it. And, and a couple of months after I got there, our pastor had hired a new minister of music. And so his name was Mark. And Mark stopped by my office one day and he shut the door and he sits down across from my desk and he says, Rocky, I need some help. And he needed some help designing something, which, which is something I could do. I, you know, I could sit down with, with Photoshop and I could, you know, design some things. And so he needed some help designing some things. And so I said, man, I, I sure will. And then it hit me. Rocky, now's the time for you to be an open book. Now's the time for you to be vulnerable with this. And so I just kind of laid my heart out there with Mark. And I said, Mark, listen, I'm willing to help you, man, but I need your help too. And I looked at this guy and I said, man, everybody around here thinks that I know music. Man, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. 
I said, I can't teach parts. And Mark looked at me and he said, man, I, I, I can help you. He says, I'll show up for youth choir practice and I'll be your piano player. And he said, you stand there in front of them and, and when it's time to pick out parts, I'll play the parts out from the sheet music and, and you can, you know, kind of point and lead them and hopefully you'll hear it, you know, and you can help. Man, I'm telling you, standing before a choir, I had no idea what any of this means. I had no idea. I, did, I still don't know what any of that means. I mean, but man, I would get in front of that choir and I would just, you know, I'd, I was a drummer. I was a drummer. I'd find the beat, man, and we'd go with it and that was it. But but I had no idea, and it, it, it worked, man. I would get before that youth choir, and I'd say, okay, Mark, play for me the, the, the alto line. He'd play it, and I'd point over to my altos, and hoping that one or two of them would hear it so the rest of them could hear it, and he would start playing it, and, and we would teach them. And I'd teach the sopranos, and I'd teach the tenors, and then we'd put it all together, man. And it was, it was this beautiful thing, but it never would have happened had I not become an open book become vulnerable and let somebody in on my weaknesses with my struggles it would have never happened there is a blessing in living life open and honest there really is there's this blessing in living life open and honest and listen i don't claim to be the best communicator shoot i'm not even the best communicator in this church if you ask me but the one thing that i have learned during my 18 years in ministry is to be open honest and transparent if i have had any success at all in communicating it's been because i've been willing to be open honest and transparent how many times have i had people come to me after service and and say pastor thank you for sharing that today thank you for being so open thank you for being so honest and and, and just just being so vulnerable up there on stage because that is what ministered to me and many of my sermons, it's, it's absolutely you know, no secret that many of my sermons will include illustrations from our family life. It is. Many times, many of my sermons will include that. And unfortunately, it does often put my family on display for everybody to see. Some of you walk up to me and say, you're a brave man for what you say. Your wife is going to kill you. You know, that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, but it does. It puts my family on display. But being raised in a pastor's home and now raising my family in a pastor's home, you quickly realize that you're called to live in a glass house. Whether you like it or not, you're called to live in a glass house. I mean, if, if the pastor's kid makes a mistake, then everybody knows it. You know, that's, that's kind of how it works. If the pastor's wife changes her hair color, People start talking about her changing her hair color. You know, if the pastor grows his hair long on top and shaves it on the sides, <laughs> suddenly everybody in the church is worried that he's having a nervous break breakdown and that he's about to, you know, just shut down, you know. You know he's going to disappear because he shaved his head on the sides, you know. I know that I live in a glass house. But man, I wouldn't change a thing about it. I wouldn't. I may feel different about this later on in life when my whole life has been lived out in front of a congregation. But honestly, I just don't think it's a pastor's life. I think we're all called to live in a glass house. I think we're all called to be an open book. And so I would not change one thing about my life and living my life on display for the world to see. I do, I do want to give kind of a disclaimer right here at this part because I didn't do this last service and I want to make sure that I do this. I thought about it and I thought, Rocky, you've got to use wisdom here. One of the things that, that I do, and you need to rest assured in this, you need to know this. The current struggles and battles that my family is going through, 
I don't display that for the world to see. Okay? I'm not going to get up here and air out our dirty laundry and catch my family members off guard. No. We've went through these battles. We have come out on the other side. And it is a testimony of God's goodness and grace into our lives. And that's why God, you know, prepares our lives for that. So that we can be an open book when the timing is right. Some of you, you need to learn about this. You need to learn when the timing is right. Because I see some of your Facebook posts. And you, you haven't got closure yet. And you need to wait till it's closed until finally you can share with the world what God has done. Amen? Amen? I just thought I'd throw that out there, man. There's no extra charges, not even in my notes. <laughs> Ushers, we're not even going to take up another offering for that little tidbit. <clears throat> Living in a glass house is what I think Christianity is all about. And I honestly believe that we are to live our lives as an open book. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 has to be one of the most powerful books in the Bible, one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible. When you read John chapter 1, it, it is just amazing at the theology that jumps off of the pages, but you have to read it close and you have to listen close. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you some of this today, and I'm only going to read three verses out of John chapter 1, but man, pay attention to this because this is so huge for us. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says... In the beginning was the Word. Now I want you to notice that the word Word is capitalized there. It is talking about a specific being. It is actually a name there. It is a, it is a being called the Word. And, and it says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now go down to verse 4. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And so we're starting to figure out a little bit more about this, this being called the Word. Okay? The specific being, the specific person called the Word. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now listen to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we get there and now we realize who the word is. The word is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the word. He has been there since the beginning. The word was with God and the word was God. In him we find life. In him there is light and the word becomes flesh. And now the sole purpose of Jesus Christ becoming flesh, the word becoming flesh, is to become an open book. Jesus came to earth to live life in a glass house. He was the word and the word was an open book for humanity. His life had to be on display in Holy Scripture. He had to live life with transparency to teach us how to live our lives. I mean, think about his life. Think about what we know and how transparent he was in sharing his life with us. Before he was born, we read of the potential controversy surrounding his unwed mother. Uh, when he was uh, uh, 
being born, we read about the poor conditions in which he was born in. We read of him being subject to his parents when he was 12 years old. We read about his temptations. We read of the ridicule that he received at the hands of religious authorities. We read of many of his followers deserting him. We read of his trial and his conviction. We read of his death. But also when you open up God's word and you begin to read the open book life of Jesus, you also see that, that, that or you read of him astounding the scribes when he was 12 years old at the temple. We read of his ministry to the poor, to the oppressed, and to the brokenhearted. We read about his healing virtue. We read about his resurrection and the resurrection power that he contains within his being. Jesus lived his life on display for all of humanity to see. His life was an open book. And honestly, as Christians, we should all live in glass houses. And I know some of you, you don't want to hear this. You don't want th this, this sermon today because this is challenging. This is a convicting sermon. But when you think about it, all of our lives should be in glass houses. All of our lives should be open books. I wish that every church member had the opportunity to drive around Gainesville for one day in our church van, also known as the Swagger Wagon. You know, you've seen it. It's parked across the street at the student center. It's green. It's bright green with crazy graphics on it. And it has the name of our church, our logo, plastered on both sides of it. I wish that every one of you had the opportunity to drive that around Gainesville for one day. Because when you drive the Swagger Wagon, it has the ability to change your life. It does. Or any church van, for that matter, if the name of the church is on the side. Because when driving that van, you're forced to remember what you represent. Because if you don't, there's consequences. If you don't remember that you're driving that van, there's consequences for this church. I mean, think about it. When someone cuts you off in traffic and you're in your own car, how do you act? When you're in the swagger wagon, you don't get to react. Trust me, I've been there. There's been moments when somebody's cut me off in traffic, and man, I'm ready to tell them like it is. I'm ready to lay on that horn. You know, I'm ready to let them know. You can't do that. You can't retaliate. You can't even like, like tell them that they're number one in a nice way. You know, you can't do that. You can't. Your life is on display at that moment. If the light turns yellow and you're tempted to speed through that intersection trying to beat the red light, if you're in the church van, you don't do that. Because somebody's going to see you break the law and they're going to call the church office and complain. No, that's not what you do. You slow down, you come to a stop, and you wait on the next green light when you're driving the church van when you pull into a parking lot and you're on one aisle and, and, and another car is two aisles down from you and in the middle aisle between the two of you there is one open parking spot in the whole parking lot and you're sitting at Best Buy and it's close to Christmas and you really need to get into Best Buy and get out. But you're in the church van. I'm not saying this has happened. <laughs> but you're in the church van. What do you do? Well, because you're in the church van, 
Even though you speed around trying to get there, that car gets there at about the same time. And instead of zooming in there because there is a church's logo plastered on the side of that van, you just very gracefully say, it's yours. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll park on the other side of Archer Road. You go right ahead. That's what you do. Because driving the church van, it changes your mentality. It makes you live your life a little different because everyone that sees you driving that van, they know that you are a Christian or at least associated with Christianity, and it makes you live your life just a little bit different. We should all live our lives like we are constantly driving church vans. That's how we should live. Our life on display, an open book, living in a glass house and saying, humanity, look at me, look at how I respond to life. 2 Corinthians 1 and 12 says, now this is our boast. Listen to what he's saying. This is what we brag about. This is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not only on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace is what it says. You see, Jesus Christ was the Word, an open book. But did you know this, that the Bible says that you're the letter? Jesus was the Word, but you're called the letter. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It says, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You are the letter. You are the open letter to this world, displaying the Spirit of the living God, touching human hearts along the way. Because our lives... They're meant to be read by others. But when we withdraw, when we isolate ourselves from others, we eliminate the possibility of them reading of what God has already done in our lives. And your life, listen to me, your life could be exactly what God wants to use to minister to somebody else's life. Your life on display could be the very thing that God wants to use to reach somebody else. And listen, I'm not just talking about the lost. I'm talking about some of the people that are sitting here in these rows with you today that God wants to use your life, wants you to have that connection, to be vulnerable with them so that they can be reached and and, and God can use your life to minister to them. But the enemy, he would love to silence your influence over someone that needs to read your life. And so we know, according to Scripture, naturally, man views the outside. Man views the external appearance. And that God looks internally. God looks at the inside. He looks at the heart. But listen, don't miss this. When we only show them our exterior, we never allow them to see our heart. And therefore, they never get to see what God sees. This is one of the biggest tragedies in Christianity. Is that so many of us put up our walls and we refuse to let people see what God sees in us. 
You see, when God looks at our lives, God sees us as more than conquerors. God sees us as delivered. God sees us as a new creation. God sees us as forgiven and free. God sees us as kings and priests is what his word says. But do they see that? Do they get to see that operating in our lives? Do they get to look into our souls and see who we really are and and what God has brought us from? Because as a Christian, the most selfish thing that we can do is live our lives closed off to humanity and it goes against everything that God's word instructs us to do. Listen to Matthew 5 and 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 1 Peter 2 and 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. 1 Peter 2 and 21. For to this you have been called. Don't miss it. Here it is right here. Listen. This is what you were called. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example so that you might follow in his steps. Christ came as an open book for humanity to follow. Look at my life. Look at what I am doing. I am going to teach you how to live. And then the Bible says that he left you as an example to follow in his footsteps To open your life up to humanity so that they can see who God really is. Because when people won't read the Bible, they will read your life. When people won't open the Bible, they can still get God's word because of the way that you're walking it out in your life. We live in a very unique time where most major court cases are visible to the world. It's, it's strange how this has changed even over the past decade. How now they allow cameras into the courtroom from murder trials to the NFL deflate gate. We get to peek inside courtrooms and we are often invited in to see some aspects to see the happenings of that trial. I've noticed something that Character witnesses are often used as a tool to establish credibility with a case. They'll use character witnesses. Hey, even in my own life, recently somebody uh, was saying something to, to a member of our church and they were kind of making an accusation that, and, and saying some things about my character and somebody came to my rescue and said, hey, you, that's not Pastor Rocky. You need, you need to really know him. And, and look, this is Pastor Rocky. Let me, let me tell you. And so they were, they were really becoming that, that, that you know, character witness for me. But here's what I figured out. One of the most powerful weapons that can be used is an eyewitness testimony. If you have an eyewitness testimony in a case, it can change the complete case. It can definitely change the outcome of a case. An eyewitness testimony has the ability to change everybody's mind in that courtroom, has the ability to change the jury's mind, the judge's mind, has the ability to change everything. If you have somebody that you can establish, they were there, they saw this happen, they saw this part of what was going on, of what we're trying to decide. If you have an eyewitness, it can change everything. And so it hit me. Are you giving them enough evidence of your testimony to convince them of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? Because when we keep our lives closed and we don't connect with anybody else, when we get hurt and we go and hide in a corner, 
When we go through life as a closed book, there will be absolutely no eyewitnesses to who we really are. But when you learn to open up your life and become that open book for humanity, it will not only change your life, it has the ability to change some other lives. Did you let them see how God turned your life around after you were abused as a child? Man, the very fact that you're sitting here today listening to God's word is a testimony to his grace and his mercy that has flooded your life if you were abused as a child. But are you letting the world see that God turned your life around? Did, did you tell them about how he provided for you and for your family after you were laid off from work? Because every day can be a testimony to that. But you've got to be willing to open your life, to open the book and say, read me. Did you tell them about how he comforted you after your divorce? Did you tell them about how Christ restored you after you cheated or after your spouse cheated? Did, did you put your life on display for them to see that? Or how the Holy Spirit brought peace to your life after the death of your child? Did you put that out there? Are you that walking, living testimony? How he delivered you from drugs, have you shared it? How he delivered you from alcoholism? Did you tell them how you were unlovable, but that even when you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you? Did you let them know that? Did you let the love of Christ flow out of you and, and they got to be an eyewitness of the amazing grace that flows from your life because you get it freely you have received, you freely give. Have they seen it? Because that's what you're called to be. You're called to be an open letter to humanity. This is my life. This is what God has done in my life. And I'm not afraid to share it because it may change somebody else's life. There was a contemporary Christian band in the 90s that I used to listen to and I recently pulled out one of their their CDs and yes I did have it on CD and I listened to a song that man it really spoke volumes to me as a young minister when I was young in my career I remember this song just really speaking into my life I listen to it, and though the words are fantastic, I can tell that the music is a little dated, and it definitely has the sounds of music from the 90s. So we're not going to play it. I don't want you to think that. I want you to listen to the words of this song by a group called For Him. It's a song called A Man You Would Write About. And the chorus of that song said, I want to be a man that you would write about. Oh, a thousand years from now, that they would read about your servant of choice with whom you found favor a man who heard your voice now I know that according to the book of Revelation towards the end of your Bible 
it very clearly states that no more Holy Scripture is being written. It's a reason why we can't add to or take away from the Bible. So I'm not even suggesting that maybe one day I'm going to be included in the Bible Volume 2 or something like that. You know, that's not it. But I just wonder, do I live my life in a way that if he was still writing the Bible, would I be included? Do I put my life on display enough to share his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his resurrection power, his forgiveness? Do I put that on display? Do I open my life? Is my life an open book enough to where God would include me if he was still writing the Bible today? It's a sobering thought. The one thing that I know is that everybody in this room has been given a measure of faith. And you have the ability to live your life that way. It's an open book. It's scary because when your life is an open book, you're extremely vulnerable. When your life is an open book, there's opportunities for you to get hurt. The chances of betrayal are there. But here's what I've realized with my life. is that the opportunities that God has given me in living my life as an open book far outweigh what anybody can say about me, do to me. Because God has just been that amazing in my life that I don't have any other choice but to live it on display. God, I just want to be a man that you would write about. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.